Brendan, hi. Really nice to meet you. Likewise, Jeff. Very good to see you. Uh, thank you. Um, just to start off, uh, you're a director of um, Shark Guardian, uh, which is a UK charity um, for, for shark and marine conservation. Can you tell us a bit about that? Sure. Um, well, the charity was officially set up in 2013. Uh, me, myself, personally, I'm from South Africa. And my wife is from the UK, and it's the, the UK connection. And uh, I guess my story goes back to when I was, I was a kid. And like most of us do as kids, uh, we love to go to aquariums. And I remember specifically when I was around 10 years old, I, I love going to the aquarium. And of course, I, love, I was always drawn to the, the shark tank. And I remember even then saying to my mom and dad, hey, mom, dad, you know, can I learn how to dive and go see sharks? And of course, they looked at me a bit weird and saying, no, of course not. What's wrong with you? Are you crazy? And so I did the next best thing that we, that we do as kids. I just nagged and nagged and pestered and pestered for six years. And eventually I went to my dad and I said, dad, please, can I learn how to dive? I'm 16 now. And he was like, yes, fine. Just don't tell your mom. And uh, I went and became a scuba diver. I did my open water course uh, in Johannesburg in South Africa. And um, uh, South Africa is an, an incredible place to dive and to see lots of sharks. So it didn't take me long to see my first shark. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday. I saw this very small black tip reef shark in Sudwana Bay, a beautiful place near Mozambique. And as soon as I saw that shark, it disappeared in three seconds. And I realized in those three seconds that everything that everybody told me about sharks was completely wrong. And it really inspired me. So I went to university, got involved in shark research, um, researched great white sharks for four years. I worked my way up to become a professional diver. And so teaching people about diving and educating people about sharks and conservation, I've been doing most of my adult life. Um, I'm now 43 and, and literally I've been doing this since I was 18. So it has been a very large part of my life. Um, and that's kind of what led us to establish Shark God in 2013 and do this on a, an official basis as, just, as such. Just before we move on, I'll just ask you, there's something clicking very loudly. Is it your chair or something else? Or Oh, no, I don't think so. Is it maybe the microphone? No, it's just going... Oh. No? Sure. no? No? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll live with it. It was just, if you could have got it. Okay, okay. So, um, let me try and come back, back into this. Looking at your website, um, Shark, it says, Shark Guardian has several active campaigns around the world. These campaigns are often in collaboration with other conservation organizations to help save sharks and oceans. Well, when I read that, it, it, I was really happy to read that because after so many, well, after a lifetime of, of meeting organizations, uh, conservation groups, scientific um, people, they're very insular in their work and very um, unwilling to share their research or share their projects with other people. And I guess most of that is down to limited budgets and things. But you seem to have gone above that. We try to, definitely. I mean, 
collaboration in our view is absolutely vital in so many ways. And depending on, on the projects you're, that you're campaigning with, uh, for example, one of the campaigns we're running with at the moment is a campaign to, um, to target the MSC, uh, the Marine Stewardship Council. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the MSC and who they are. Uh, but basically we're working together with Shark Project, which is a large um, shark conservation organization, especially in Europe. And the idea there is to um, get the MSC to, to formally uh, put procedures and policies in place that in their fisheries, that sharks are landed with their fins naturally attached. And this is a coalition of several organizations uh, and we're one of those. And, and it definitely does bear, and you certainly have a lot more strength when there's many organizations behind a single objective and a single goal. And when all of us kind of get together behind that, we're stronger together than going through and trying to target these big organizations individually. So collaboration is key. And um, like you said, there are so many times when organizations seems to want to go at it alone and keep within the bubble and that's it. But um, we, we found that collaboration, you achieve a lot more that way. Yeah, it, it, absolutely. It, it's very frustrating not to see more uh, of that kind of thinking with it. Um, and on from that, also throughout the years, one sees so much data collected, so many facts. Um, I, and it's just like science is really just documenting the extinction of species rather than taking effective steps to, to mm. conserve it. Is that still the same now? Um, I, I can, well, personally, one of the reasons why I switched from doing research to going into education and awareness was exactly that. And I, as, as much as I enjoyed the research and, and it is, the research is valuable to collect data to influence policy change. However, I really felt there's a need for awareness to get your hands directly involved in conservation work. And that's, that's for us a really big part of what we do. So apart from the campaigns that we run, I'd say most of the time what we are doing is we approach schools and community events to go in and, and directly give presentations and uh, educational programs about sharks. And we love that the most. And we've been doing this um, uh, throughout my, my professional diving career and a researcher career. And every year we try and target between I'd say 30,000 to 100,000 kids a year in schools worldwide. And we really feel this is where the biggest, biggest effect and change is. Education is conservation. Because at the end of the day, sharks are that unique species that a lot of people have a negative image of, or they have a negative reputation. So part of the conservation work is to make sure that people have the right education regarding sharks how long they've been around for, why they're important, why we have to protect them. Um, so I, I can definitely relate to that 100%, yeah. <laughs> you've, uh, you, you've just preempted a few of my next questions, which has kind of left me... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> On the news for sharks, one always hears 
bad news. I, I very rarely, if at all, I can't remember the last good news I heard. I mean, you get little pockets of it around the world, you know, where individuals do do amazing things. Generally, is there hope? Is there is is there is there good news out there? There is some, and and like you said, you kind of have to look for it. Um, unfortunately, the the stuff that you do see, the bad stuff, is usually headed by the big media corps. So, uh, the Sun in the UK, for example, is a, a really good example of the ones that l they love to kind of show that fear factor of sharks. Whenever there's some kind of uh, shark encounter that where somebody gets injured, there are a lot of newspapers or media corps that that just they just grab that and they they plaster that all over the you know, the websites and into the internet. And those get picked up very quickly, unfortunately. Because of that fear factor, it gets a lot of links and people like to share it. And what they should do more is actually show more about what people are doing to protect sharks and protect coastlines and to protect the diversity of these species. But like you said, you, you really have to look at it. And uh, I think that's a really big part of what we try to do. We always like to show why these sharks are amazing, why they're important. They've been around for millions of years. They've survived five mass extinctions. There's obviously a reason why they're here. And we have to protect that. It's our, it's our duty to protect that. Um, so, uh, yeah, like you, I'd love to see lesser than negative stuff. And we should really be showing more of the positive stuff because that's the only way the, the negative um uh, reputations of sharks ever going to change yeah it's it's a double-edged sword the 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 bad news although it's extremely truthful and important to get out there i i remember oh, a lifetime ago there was a channel 4 series called fragile earth and it was groundbreaking there were i think four or five programs uh looking at rainforest destruction and, and other things and at the time, it was horrifying um, because it was all new. I mean, I can't remember. Maybe it was 70s or, or maybe early 80s. And I remember distinctly the first program that came out of the series got huge audiences. And then it gradually dwindled considerably through the next programs just because the news was so bad, people couldn't take it in. <laughs> and so it... I'm sure it inspired a lot of people to, to get into conservation work, but it, but it also had a very negative effect. And that's a very tricky one to overcome, I think. Yeah, it, it really is. And it's about finding that balance, which is very, very important. And I think that it's also, um, it's also important to look at educating people on why sometimes there are the negative stuff. Like we, I spent many years researching shark attacks worldwide. And sometimes by just telling people that, you know, sharks are beautiful, they're great, it's not always enough because in the back of their heads, they're still like, yeah, but they still got big teeth and they still <laughs> do this. So uh, I, I love going into the, the case studies of shark attacks and really point these things out. And uh, I think simply one of the, the key facts that we, we get across is that, you know, there's, there's millions of people going into the ocean on a daily basis in many places where there are sharks. If sharks did actually bite and eat and kill people, why is there only two deaths a year as recorded in 2019? Why isn't there hundreds a week? Why isn't there thousands a month or tens of thousands a year? And the, 
the fact is that sharks actually don't eat people. And that's where the media gets it wrong. Often the media says, man eating shark. Shark ate person. They never eat anybody, ever. Sharks are very much like dogs. Dogs don't eat people. Dogs bite people, especially if you pull them by the tail or do something like that. Sharks are kind of the same. You really have to be in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing for a shark to bite you. And even then, they do everything they can to avoid you. So it's, it's very, very important to make sure you stick to the facts. And a lot of the scientific data is available for us to look at case studies when it comes to shark attacks. And I can guarantee you that 99.99% of all the shark attacks that happen worldwide have very, very, um, very logical reasons and explanations to them why they actually took place in the first place. And as long as we pay attention to those, those rules and the reasons why those shark attacks happen in the first place, you're, you're incredibly safe in the water with sharks, even large ones. Uh, so all, when we kind of look at the, the negative stuff, it's important to, to really delve into that and look exactly what happened. Yeah, in, indeed. I find it, I find diving with sharks is, is, is uh, I don't get to do it very much now, but uh, it's, they're just highlight of my life. I mean, you, you, you've cut it's, you're on the edge with your adrenaline and you're never a hundred percent sure what's going to happen, but you know, you're pretty safe really, you know, as you're saying, doing everything right. And then, uh, but it's good. It's great. And you come out and you think that was amazing. That was just, it, it never gets old. It just, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dives later, you, you don't get, it doesn't get old, does it? It's, you could just dive again and again. And every time, even if you see a small shark, it's just like, oh, wow. How cool is that? <laughs> yes, it's true. Absolutely. <laughs> just on a, uh, another aspect of this. I mean, why is it you think that humans, us human beings, um, are happy or content to cause pain, stress, kill species that we either don't understand or don't like, and sharks, of course, being, being one of those. Wow, it's a tough one. I, I personally believe that as a, as a human race, I find ourselves extremely arrogant, that we feel that we place ourselves as gods on the planet and we get to decide what lives and what dies. And I find that extremely barbaric and extremely arrogant. Coming back to sharks, it's like <clears throat> they've been around for more than 400 million years and survived these several mass extinctions. And only now for the very first time, they're threatened by something that isn't a natural extinction event. It's by another species, and that's us. And at this point we've already driven a third of shark species to a point of possible extinction. Uh, in some places around the world, we've already decimated populations by 90 to 99%. And that's what we've done. It's not just like some kind of national event. And then it's not just sharks. Look at what we're doing to terrestrial animals. And when I, I bring this up because when I, when we go to schools and we talk about sharks and why people do shark finning, it's like, well, you know, we're killing at a minimum, 183 sharks a minute, right? And we're, we're finning these sharks. We're, we're cutting the fins off. We're throwing the bodies back into the ocean. 
What's the difference to that, to killing a rhino, a poacher shooting a rhino and cutting off a horn and taking just that one piece of that animal that supposedly has more value than the rest of it? What's the difference? When people see rhinos being killed in Africa, poached, everybody, there's an uproar. Everybody hates it. They fight against it. This has happened to 183 sharks a minute. There's no difference. It's just, it's even more grotesque and, and more scary. And, uh, and, I, and I hate that. And I, and I find that one of the reasons why we keep doing what we're doing is we've got to try and rein that back in. We've got, we've got to keep stopping this from this continuing because otherwise there's just going to be nothing left. There's going to be no sharks left. And we can we shouldn't let that happen on our watch. It, it's one of the factors of that, I think, is sound. You know, the, the, the cries of stress and pain, which you can hear on a mammal, on a terrestrial uh, animal. Things underwater, fish, crabs, sharks, whales are slightly different because they surface and you hear them crying. Uh, but sharks, no, it's all silent. All the pain is, is silent. But, I mean, they do have all the capabilities of feeling pain and stress, the same as us and any other animal. It's just that we can't hear it, so we tend to ignore it. Exactly. Yeah, it's a really good point. And many people don't even think about that side of it. And that's a really good point you raised there. Hmm. You've run shark expeditions um, for both divers and snorkelers. Um, can you tell us a bit about those? Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful follow-on from the educational programs that we run uh, in schools and for the general public. And... Um, uh, and the reason why we do that, I always come back to that story of my first experience with the shark and how my life changed just seeing my first shark in those three seconds. And our expeditions are designed to give people the opportunity to do that, especially people who have never really been in the ocean before, never seen a shark outside of an aquarium before. To get them in the water, face-to-face -face, in the ocean to see a shark for the first time is a life-changing event. And that's something that they will never forget because I've never forgotten my first three seconds with a shark either. And that's the point is to show them, look, these animals are incredibly beautiful, elegant, and they deserve to be in the oceans. They, they, they have a right to be there. They, they do a lot of great stuff for us in the oceans. And uh, when you give people that connection, they want to go out and they want to try and save these species. And uh, that's the point. So all our expeditions are highly educational based. We, we use citizen science and, and data collection to reinforce that we're giving something back towards research. And we get to see the sharks in their natural environment. And uh, hey, there's nothing better than that. Did you ever get people that um, do just the opposite, get in water and think, oh no, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> this is, you know, kill them all. I don't care. There's, there's once or twice where um, we've done some diving in South Africa and I go back there every year to try and do the sardine run. Unfortunately, not the last two years because of COVID, but um, there's one or two sites we go to and uh, you're on a rib boat and you got all your gear on. You're just about to do your backward roll in the water. You just give you, you have that one final look behind you and all you see is, is just a sea of fins. And literally, there'll be like 30 or 50 sharks behind you just near the surface. And they're these oceanic black tips. And uh, they're, they're quite sizey sharks. They're, you know, they're nice, chunky sharks. But 
they, would, they don't even bat an eyelid. They don't find us interesting in any kind of way. They're just there for the fish. And it's uh, when you look behind you and you see that wall of sharks and you think, oh, I'm going to do that backward roll. There is a bit of hesitance, but once people get in and they look around and they see all these sharks just whizzing around and completely ignoring them, that's the best feeling ever. Yeah, I know. I absolutely agree. I think, it, I think my, my closest um, hold of breath with the shark and, and, and it was, I'm sure, it was on the same dive um, uh, off Mozambique. And um, as I, that period when you're just about to get back in the boat, that's always the one where you're not looking down, you can't see anything, and you think, oh, la, la, la. And then a shark came through and bumped my leg. And I thought, oh, that's okay, it's all right. And then one actually grabbed hold of my fin, took, took a really sharp pull at it. And I thought, dude, no, that's never happened before. And, I, and then somebody on the, uh, one of the barges said, uh, oh, you've got blue fins. They always go for blue fins. And I never heard this before. <laughs> anyway, I changed my fins that dive. So I black fins. But have you ever heard that before? I mean, just... I've, I've had that. I, I noticed that when I'm trying to get back into the boat, you know, when you're kind of giving yourself that last pull up and you have to kick really hard to get back in the boat. And at that time, your fins are kind of splashing the surface and you're making that extra noise, that extra motion in the water. That's when I found I've had one or two bumps up my fin. But apart from a couple of bumps, no, nothing, nothing at all. Um, I had a, an experience, I think it was three years ago, diving off Plattenberg Bay in South Africa. And there was a, a one dive site where there's this huge um, peninsula and there's a, a, a huge seal colony. And uh, it was a seal dive where you kind of go down to three or four meters and look at seals. But as we did the backward roll off the boat, I had a, a juvenile great white shark just come to the back of us, me and my buddy. Had a quick look at us about three meters off, turned and swam off. That was quite an exciting little, uh, like three, 30 seconds into our first dive. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. My goodness. <laughs> Earlier you mentioned, you just briefly mentioned citizen science. I mean, Today, with all the easy communication, the ways of you know mobile phones gathering data and stuff, um, do you find citizen science helps you a lot? Are, are many people involved in helping you that way? Uh, with, with technology today, it makes collecting citizen science and data so much easier and uh, much more accessible than it was just even three or four years ago. Um, one of the citizen science projects that we collaborate with is something called eOceans. And it's something that we've been um, uh, field testing with uh, dive centers around the world uh, on a manual basis where we get people to record the observations uh, uh, manually and physically, uh, either out on the dive site or on the boat or when they get back to the dive shop. And it started as a shark-focused um, objective, but then we kind of branched branched out to looking at sharks and turtles, marine mammals, uh, human impacts such as garbage and boating, fishing, anything like this. And the researcher behind it who is based in Canada, um, she came out here to Thailand and we kind of brainstormed a little bit and we thought the best way to do this to collect a baseline data of information was to grab the new century and go into an app-based uh, kind of research project. So it really makes it accessible to almost every single one. 
And by down, downloading that app, which is functioning right now, you can, uh, whether you go walking on the beach or kayaking or snorkeling or diving, you can record observations of marine species you're seeing as well as human impacts. And once we start getting a global database of this information together that in 10 years time, uh, we can look back and see what people were observing 10 years ago and to what we're observing now. We can kind of look at what, what those impacts are and what policies can be put into place. So that's the, the kind of bigger picture with it. And uh, by going app-based, we're certainly making it more accessible to absolutely anybody. And I love that because you don't have to be a marine biologist or a researcher to to be able to give something back. And simply by just recording observations is helping the real scientists and the people behind there gather the information they need that can possibly change policies later on. Uh, so it's giving power to people who love the ocean generally. Yeah, yeah, it's terrific. Do you get very much um, stuff from the UK? Not, not so much from the UK yet. We are kind of uh, trying to get some uh, organizations in the UK more involved with this. Um, one of which is Basking Sharks Scotland, uh, based out of Oban, who go out and do their visuals on the basking sharks and all the other marine life they get up there is amazing. So we're trying to get them to look at using this app on a more regular basis. Although they already do some of their own research. And the nice thing about this app is that it doesn't really matter if there's another research project taking place anyway, because the data can still be put onto this app-based uh, platform where again, it's shared within the, the scientific community. So uh, it's about collaboration again. Uh, so we're trying to touch base with more organizations and communities in the UK to start implementing this. And especially in schools, when we talk to kids and we say, you know, next time you go to the beach and you see some whales or something, download the app and use your dad or mom's phone and, you know, record. Yeah, brilliant. brilliant. It, 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 yeah. I, and you can, you can sit, there's so many pairs of eyes out there looking all the time now. I mean, the, the data should be fantastic, really. If, if yeah. people can take the trouble to do it, that's the thing. Absolutely. And we were testing it first with a lot of dive centers here in Asia, specifically where, where, I'm, where I'm based right now. I'm, I'm in Thailand right now. And um, we were, for the last four or five years, working with uh, dozens and dozens of dive centers in Thailand and Indonesia to kind of get the get the ball rolling with it and see what's the best way to field test this, this app. And we got it to where it is now. So it's, uh, yeah, it's been a great work in progress. What's the, um, for you, the realistic uh, scenario now for the marine world, for oceans for the future? Um, there's not only one solution to all the problems it's going to become it's going to take a collective amount of effort um, in a lot of different areas when it comes to marine life protection um, i certainly believe that marine protected parks and sanctuaries do play a big role and that's um it's very evident because it's we can see that's worked already in a lot of places around the world um, such as in palau that created the the, the asia's first shark sanctuary in 2010 their economical, uh, financial uh, backing to create a shark sanctuary has pulled in huge amounts of ecotourism. One social study showed that each live shark in the Palau was worth a quarter million tourist dollars each year from ecotourism. 
And that's, that's showing the value of these animals alive rather than being caught dead and sold for $100 for a body of a shark and then that shark's gone. So by having these sanctuaries put in place and showing how ecotourism is valuable and important, I do believe that is a huge way forward because that also provides an alternative income for people who would otherwise go and fish and kill those sharks too. So that for me, I believe, is very, very important, which is why we, we love the expedition diving side of things because, again, by taking people diving to see sharks is conservation. It does help to protect these animals in those areas. Uh, with that and also with, uh, to combine with big policy change and enforcement at top levels, that is the only way it's going to work. Yeah. It's been brilliant talking to you, uh, Brendan. Thank you very much for taking the time uh, to do this. Um, sure. If people want to become involved in, in either your, your research um, to help out the charity um, in any way at all, what's, what's a good way for them to start, do you think? Well, we have a lot of information on our website, but ultimately what we love to do more than anything is education. So if there's anybody listening and they would like to perhaps get shark guarding into their children's school or a friend's school, uh, where we can either come in and give a personal presentation when the, when the situation allows us to regarding COVID or to do a virtual presentation, uh, do contact us. This is what we enjoy and thrive on. We love educating the public about sharks with kids all the way to adults. So certainly look into that. We love doing this. And um, do look at our campaigns that we're doing right now. There are several campaigns we're running where we always need support from the public. Uh, so, for example, we ran a, a large campaign uh, last year to ban shark fin importations into the UK. We ran a successful petition that got over 115,000 signatures for the debate, to, for the uh, petition to be debated in Parliament. Uh, we're still waiting for that to happen, but we do have multiple government responses already from this. So it's very, very exciting. You can still continue to support that by uh, going to our website and having a look at our campaign called Finspire Change UK, where you can, get you can download or buy postcards to send to your local MPs. You can tweet your MPs. You can write template letters to your MPs. So they're familiar with this policy change that's coming up that will be debated in Parliament. So that continued... Uh, support is valuable and there's three or four other campaigns again that you can get active in and uh, so take some time and have a look at that and anytime you can support on that would be fantastic oh excellent thank you thank you for that Brennan once again um we'll, we'll we'll stop there thank you for everything that um you've told us and um hopefully catch up again someday anytime thank you for having me thanks Brendan. bye take care bye